This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to this episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg, and I have the pleasure of having as my guest today, Karen Hatton, who is the co-proprietor of Arietta Wines in Napa Valley. Now, Karen Hatton and her partner Fritz started Arietta in 1996 in partnership with famed Napa winemaker John Kongsgaard. Their focus is, and always has been, ultra-premium Bordeaux-inspired blends from Napa Valley. As classical music enthusiast, Arietta takes its name from Beethoven's Arietta movement of his last piano sonata, Opus 111. Today, Arietta wines are made by Andy Erickson, one of the most accomplished winemakers in Napa Valley, and Karen now leads expansion of Arietta wines into the Mountain States, which is actually where we are. Karen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's so nice to be here, Scott, and in this beautiful place, Park City. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you kind of want to pinch yourself when you look around where we are and the beautiful mountains and... It's just lovely, and I'm, I'm so thrilled that Arietta's coming into the Mountain States. Well, it's been really fun for me because um, I was kind of by, behind the scenes a lot of the time while I was raising our kids mm-hmm. and more the strategic partner, but since uh, the kids are out of the house now, I have uh, led expansion into Park City, Jackson Hole, and Sun Valley specifically, and it's gone really well. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, one of the things, I mean, I've been a fan of Arietta for a while, so it's such a, a thrill you. to be able to meet you. And as we talked about a little earlier, we actually have mutual friends, yes, <laughs> which is a very small world, but in the wine world, maybe not so small. But one of the things that I love about Arietta is you're family owned. And, yes. And that's a really cool thing, particularly uh, in this day and age of wineries being purchased and gobbled up, but you're family owned. Tell me a little bit about how Arietta got started. So back in 96, Fritz and I were living in uh, Manhattan, New York, and uh, John called Fritz up and said, you want to make a little wine together? And John Kongsgaard. John Kongsgaard. calls Fritz out of the blue. <laughs> yes. Well, they, they really became fast friends because of classical music, which, um, which is why Arietta is named Arietta. I can tell that story later, but um, he literally called one day and said, do you want to make a barrel of wine together? And Fritz said, well, how much does that cost? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Yeah. Well, I mean, long story short, uh, we ended up saying yes. And uh, so our first commercial release was in 98. Mm -hmm. So it was the 96 vintage, 26 years ago, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. So we were just after the cult wines, you know, um, and De- Napa was very different back then. So our brand has been built on relationships. Uh, John, John and Maggie were co-partners with us, and it was a handshake deal. We had a one-page contract, and John made the wine, and Fritz and I sold it. We have remained a family business because we like to have the relationships with people who are drinking our wine and who are representing it. And if we became a big corporate entity, it would be really hard to continue that. Now, when you say you have these long-term relationships, not just in the winemaking side, but I assume uh, from the vineyard side too, are you, do you have your own estate grapes? Are you purchasing grapes? Are those long-term contracts with other wine grape growers? 
So we're all long-term contracts with grape growers. Uh, we've been purchasing wine from Lee Hudson for 26 years. So that's actually how... Wow. The, yeah. Oh, the Hudson Vineyard? Yes. Wow. So that's actually how we started. Um, John, when he left Newton Vineyards, took one block from Newton. He said, I want to make wine out of this little tiny block of Cab Franc on the Hudson Vineyard. And it's 2.1 acres. It's the H block. So... Oh, that's <laughs> where the name comes from. But yes. we'll get to that in yeah, a moment. Yeah, yeah, we'll okay. get to that in a moment. But anyway, so John took that because he wanted to make his own wine. And that was the barrel of wine that he, he wanted to make with Fritz and me. And we blended it with the G block, which is right next to the H block on the Hudson Vineyard. And that's Merlot. So we started as a right bank house, Bordeaux house in Napa, which was... Very unusual. Very unusual. So let's actually talk about that for a moment because I said in your intro that I believe that the focus is on ultra premium Bordeaux inspired blends from Napa Valley. A lot of people, when they think about Napa Valley, think of these big, sort of ultra fruit forward uh, Cabernet Sauvignon style wines, but Bordeaux style wines are very different. Yeah. Very interested to know what took you in that direction. Well, it was really, we were taking John's lead at that point. Um, we weren't in the wine industry. I mean, Fritz has been in the industry in different capacities for many years, um, and me de facto through him. But he, really, John had no, no desire to make Cabernet. So we went into this thinking we would never make Cabernet. Um, so our first wine was, ba was based off of Cheval Blanc. Um, so, hence the Cap, Cap Franc, Franc Merlot, 6040, yep. classic. Um, we then went made 100% uh, Merlot starting in 1999, um, and we still make 100% Merlot. Uh, and we went through the hard years. <laughs> we stuck with it <laughs> through the hard Mer Merlot years. <laughs> I think we're referring to the movie Sideways. Yes, exactly. Which, which pooped all over Merlot. Oh my gosh. It was crazy because it really wasn't even about the wine, right? right. right. <laughs> it was about their relationship. But <laughs> we won't go into that. And we won't talk about how they ended the show with Cheval Blanc. Exactly. <laughs> well, you said it. That's right. So, um, and then we made a really unusual blend call, uh, called Variation One, which okay. is variation on a theme. It was, it's a blend of Syrah and Merlot, and we still make it. We only make 100 cases of it. Actually, I think this year we're going to increase to 200 cases. Uh, it's a crowd pleaser. Wow. Yeah. You only make 100 cases of Variation One? Yes. Yeah, I feel I kind of feel a little blessed that I got a bottle. Oh, you have one. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, and crazy, uh, we are actually. It is actually on the special order list here in Utah. <gasps> well, we're going to talk about that in a little bit because okay. you know, being in Utah, love it as as I said. You know, you can pinch yourself just looking outside at the mountains, but the wine industry here is you know a little. Uh, different. Tricky. Tricky. It's tricky. Perfect. It's tricky. It's it tricky. needs negotiation. <laughs> yes. That's right. Yes. So tell me a little about, we're talking again, the long-term contracts that you have. We're talking about the uh, types of variety of wine that you're making. But what about the vineyard sites themselves? Where are those located uh, throughout the valley? That's a really good question because it's important to the brand and why we make the wine that we make. So... Our goal from the very beginning has been to make the most Bordeaux-style wines that we possibly can in Napa. 
And so we have always sourced vineyards from the southernmost parts of, uh, of Napa, Carneros and Coombsville specifically. So um, the right bank wines all come from the Hudson Vineyards, which is in Carneros. Um, Are are you familiar with where they are? They're right down the road from Domain Carneros, right on 121. Okay, sure. Lee owns 2,000 acres and built a winery four years ago um, where we're doing our tastings now. Okay. We're very, very, very lucky to be there. It's state-of-the-art and beautiful and... In Carneros. In Carneros, yes. Um, so we buy Cab Franc, Merlot, and Syrah, and now actually a little Cabernet from him. Okay. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. <laughs> Carneros and Cabernet, but they are growing it, and it's delicious. Um, it's our style. It has a little bit more acid. Okay. Um, it's lighter in style. Um, one of the things that I love to talk about is the fact that the grapes are able to hang longer on the vine. So as it gets cooler into the cooler at night into the fall um the bricks don't go up in the grapes the sugars don't go up but the complexity just get maximizes because the grapes just hang on the vines for probably an extra three weeks on average it really is a bordeaux style it is where in bordeaux you know that there's a much longer growing season and it doesn't get as hot as it does maybe in napa in certain years i'm sure it does but uh not consistently and of course what that translates to in the wines, particularly in the Cabernets, you get those beautiful, uh, the beautiful acidity, and maybe the alcohol is not so high, which is a nice thing for a change. It is. And you will definitely find that in our wines, especially the H Block and the Merlot. Um, I love our, our Merlot and the wines that we blend because uh, with it because it's such a beautiful example of what Merlot can be when it's grown in the right place and made by the right winemaker. We're not going to taste that today, but um, I'm sure I can get you some. You know, that's really interesting. I actually want to talk to you for a minute about your winemaker. You know, uh, Andy Erickson, kind yes. of, you know, the rock star in his own right. And he is. John Kongsgaard. Tell me about the style of wine that really attracted you to Andy. Okay. So um, the story is actually a really wonderful one. First of all, um, We're family-owned. Second of all, we've only had two winemakers in our 26-year history, which is pretty incredible. It is. Um, So John was our partner, um, and in about right around 04, um, so after about eight years, he wanted to build his own winery. Right. So we bought him out of Arietta, and he hand-appointed Andy, um, who had worked for him at Newton and... One other winery, I think just Newton, but knew Andy was a brilliant winemaker and young and up and coming, and he was starting his consulting business, so he hand-appointed Andy to be our next winemaker. At that point, uh, we had just started making Cabernet in 03, um, but when John took his Chardonnay away from the, the group, we needed to make a white wine. And that's actually what we have in our glass right here. This was Andy's first project. We, okay. Yeah. The, the so, wine, which, by the way, spoiler alert: we're going to have a white wine in our uh, towards the end of the podcast. But okay, <laughs> okay. So we'll talk about that in, yeah. in a minute. But tell me about what what's yes, he was anointed by John Kongsgaard, which yes. you know, in and of itself, high praise indeed. Yes. But what was it about Andy's style that really drew you to him? So Andy. Um, 
Andy is one of those people who's, first of all, really easy to get along with. And what we really love about him is he's a very technical winemaker, but he really wants to make the kind of wine that we want to make. Interesting. So if you taste a variety of Andy's wines, they're all very different. Um, Arietta has its own personality. Seven Apart has its own personality. Favia has its own personality. They're not all the same. And we love that. And he consistently says, I want to make the wine that you want to make. So ours, you know, our wine reflects what we like, which is a little lighter in style, more Bordeaux, complex, balanced, good with food. Um, when we're blending and tasting with Andy and Patrick, we're always talking about that. And we also want consistency over the years, which is harder and harder as you get farther and farther down the road, right? If you taste a 1998 and you t taste a, you know... Uh, the wines from today, how similar are they? What's the what's the consistent thread running through those wines? Because we want somebody who's been a client of ours for 26 years to say, oh yeah, that's the that's the Arietta that I remember, and that's I'm going to continue buying because it's what I love about this wine. Back to the music theme <laughs> that. You're drawing some great parallels here with your wine, <laughs> right? You're talking about a consistent thread. So mm. in classical music, there's usually a consistent thread that runs through the whole piece. And then you talk about balance and complexity, just like in classical music. Completely. So how did the name Arietta actually come about? Was it because of your love of classical music? It, it was, actually. Um, so... Uh, Fritz and John, in particular, back in 1996, met because of classical music. And I am a marketer, and I'm a really good audience. <laughs> I don't play any instruments myself. I can hold a tune, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I love classical music. And when we were going to name Arietta, I said, the name's going to be in your music books. And so we were looking through the notes and all the different um, symbols and... Fritz opened his piano music, his Beethoven piano music, to the last piano sonata, and it was called the Arietta, which means little song. So he looked at me and he said, Arietta, and I said, that's it. That's it. And John and Maggie loved it, and ironically, um, we would have these musical bacchanals all the time, and always at 1.11 in the morning, we would play the the Arietta Opus 111. So it had a, a history with our partnership as well that went beyond the wine. It it all fits all it all fits very well, and um, we've taken that musical theme throughout all the wines. And um, you're right, it, it, there's a lot of parallels between classical music and winemaking. Um, so we're very fortunate. Today, Arietta would have been taken <laughs> if we had started a winery. So we were very fortunate to be able to get that name. Well, I have to say, probably at my age today, it wouldn't be 111 a.m. that I'm drinking. 111 <laughs> p.m. <laughs> God, yeah, I understand. <laughs> now, you and I were talking a little bit earlier, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to maybe embarrass your daughter just a little bit. Okay. Uh, I want you to tell the story about how the quartet label came into being. Okay. It's a good one. So everyone remembers the, uh, the recession of 2008. And um, we had this wine called Red Wine. And um, we were going to rename it to Quartet. We were going to reduce the price. 
which is unheard of in the wine industry, but we wanted it to be about $100 on a restaurant list. So we reduced the price, and I said, as the marketer, I said, we need a new label, because our original label was very small and very hard to read, and on a table, it would be very unrecognizable. And I said, we need something that somebody's gonna be able to see and remember. And Fritz was like, ah, you know, we don't need a new label. And I'm like, I think we do. So Libby, at age eight, your daughter. Um, our, yes, our daughter um, said, okay, I'm going to design the label. So she went off to her computer and looked up the quartet and um, the musical quartet. And she took out a Sharpie and drew this image of a quartet with a viol- two violins, a viola, and a cello. And uh, I still have the drawing. And uh, then Fritz said, well, we can't put that on our wine. And I'm like, why not? Exactly. <laughs> so we, we had a panel. And, of course, everybody loved Libby's label. And um, in the end, that's, that's the quartet label. And everybody loves it. Right. And how is Fritz going to say no to his little girl? <laughs> well, he had a hard time for it with it for a while. <laughs> but um, he's, he's certainly happy about it now. And um, so Libby is famous for that. <laughs> so before we head into the tasting portion, I would love to hear a little bit more about your, you, you referred to yourself as kind of the, the marketing branch of this. I want to hear a little bit more about your push into the mountain states. Okay, thank you. Um, so when, when the kids went off to school, I realized that, you know, my, I needed to get more involved with the wine business, uh, with Arietta. I was really doing the strategic marketing and the bookkeeping and all the behind the scenes stuff while the kids were growing up. And, um, so I needed to claim some territories for my own. And I always felt like the mountain, these little mountain towns that are so popular across the country would be excellent places to market Arietta because not only are people local trying them, but then they're taking them home to their their main house or their second house or whatever you want to call it. We've been going to Ketchum to Sun Valley for 21 years. So that's where I started, actually. Um, I found a distributor who only works in Ketchum. And um, because now I'm a Wood River Valley vintner, <laughs> I have a little house up there. Um, every, you know, it caught fire, um, and it's figuratively, not literally. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> we don't like to talk about fire. That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. It became very popular in, in Ketchum. And so we're in a lot of the, the main restaurants in, in Ketchum now and the wine shop and the Atkinson's up there. And, um, and then I met Maggie here in Park City, um, and we have a lot in common, so she's done a fabulous job of getting um, Arietta distributed here and creating events around the brand. So I would say that my, um, you know, we're still in the very beginning stages, but it's really helping with the, the knowledge of Arietta. We're so small. We're, we only make 3,000 cases of wine, so... For people to know Arietta outside of our little funnels, it's it's hard. But we rely on relationships and um, subscribers to talk about Arietta and um, grow our our reputation and um, our customer base. And I, for one, as a customer, am very very grateful <laughs> having known your wines for quite a while. 
when I was, you know, my prior life back on the East Coast and now being here in Park City, so thrilled to be able to see. <laughs> it's like seeing an old friend. It really is. It's wow. like, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. And I am so glad that you're making the effort to be in these uh, mountain towns and particularly, I'm going to say, Park City. Um, but uh, one thing that I am kind of excited about, I want to talk, make sure I don't miss the opportunity to talk about, is there's possibly a new project on the horizon. <laughs> if I can maybe leak this out on the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, there's probably something that you're going to involve uh, the uh, associate winemaker with. Yes. Yes. Um, very exciting. I've been wanting to make Pinot Noir for, I don't know, probably 20 years. Wow. And it's just been something that I've been... It's been in the back of my mind, and I'd bring it up every once in a while, and last year seemed to be the right year. So we found a beautiful vineyard on the Sonoma Coast, or in the Sonoma Coast, um, that has heritage clones. Wow, okay. Yeah, so we have Pomard, Von Ramenet, and Swan, um, and I made 175 cases last year. So it's a passion project. It is a passion project. Um, it is for sure, but I do plan to grow it. Um, this year I'll have 350 cases. I don't have a label yet, but I do have a name. Libby, we need you. <laughs> Actually, my other daughter's going to draw the label really? for me. Okay, cool. Yes. <laughs> so we Equal have... opportunity mom. Exactly. Yeah. And Hattie's kind of more of the... Um, visual artists now. Libby has moved into music direction. Imagine that. I know. So, <laughs> so she went the music direction and Hattie has gone more the visual arts. Um, anyway, yes, we'll, we'll have a label from each daughter and uh, the wine is going to be called Nest Weaver. Okay. Which is, um, it's in honor of my grandmother who was, uh, had a huge influence on me and she was a homemaker. So she taught me how to sew and bake and garden and, you know, be a wonderful homemaker and pass that on to her daughter, who was my mom, who is my mom, and then my sisters and my daughters. So it's really about um, passing down those skills as a, a homemaker and a mother and bringing people together and making a home. And all while still being a tour de force <laughs> in the business side of the wine industry. Right. Yeah. We, we all create our own homes in our own way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who stays at home, but it's the way you create your home. A nest maker. Exactly. Wonderful. Now, will Andy be making those wines? No. Um, uh, our associate winemaker, Patrick Nyholt, um, has been named winemaker. I am going to be working very closely with him on, on the wine. So, um, you know, I'm not going to promise that I'm going to become the winemaker, but I will definitely be in there punching down and uh, <laughs> doing because it's open top fermenters. Yep. And so I'll be in there, you know, doing the work. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you know, I got to say that it wouldn't surprise me if you were the winemaker one day. Just, well, maybe. You never know. Yeah. It's, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> well, talking about all this wine has made me very thirsty. So now it's time for what's in your glass. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm excited too. All right. This we have two, two in front of us. And what a treat for me because so many of my interviews are done over Zoom. Now, be able to do one face-to-face -face and actually sample the wine with you, I'm very excited. Oh, good. Very excited. Well, me too. It's just so serendipitous that we that I ended up being here this week. Sure. <laughs> so, we have two wines here. We have Arietta on the White Keys, 
which is a Sauvignon Blanc Semillon blend. This is this is a, a real crowd pleaser, and um, our whole goal in making this wine was to make people salivate. Yes. I am. <laughs> I'm just smelling the wine right now. I'm so glad this is a podcast without video. <laughs> exactly, because every time I talk about it, I salivate. It's a little embarrassing right now. <laughs> like Pavlov's dogs, exactly. right? Exactly. Oh. So we're super fortunate, um, again, getting back to the vineyard sites, um, all of our choices in vineyard are, are very specific. And Andy, this was Andy's first job when he became winemaker in 05, was to create, help us create this wine. So we literally tasted probably 50 Sauvignon Blancs from around the world, um, all over the world. And we chose a, um, a Bordeaux, a white Bordeaux, and then there was one maybe from the Central Coast. I don't remember the names of them, but they both had Semillon blended with yeah, the Sauvignon sure, Blanc. Yeah. So we, Andy went out and he found the um, Farina Vineyard, which is on Sonoma Mountain, our only non-Napa grape. But it's about 1,500 feet above Glen Ellen, so it has some... Um, some altitude and it's really cool and that's where you get that bracing acidity when you first put it in your mouth and we were just talking uh, earlier today that you know, our favorite white wines are those Bordeaux style where you have the Sauvignon Blanc with a little bit of Sauvignon talk about doing Bordeaux inspired wines what a great example this is thank you right thank you oh yeah it, um, as I said, it's a real crowd pleaser. And so many people will say, oh, I don't drink Sauvignon Blanc or I don't drink white wine. And, Shame on them. <laughs> well, and I say, you really should try this one because wow. it's very different. Oh. I call it our red wine drinkers white wine. Absolutely. Because <laughs> it really fills your mouth. It's that Sauvignon. Yeah. The, the Sauvignon has such a fat richness. Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful, but you've got these just fantastic aromas and flavors of. Uh, great stone fruit, peach and apricot, and just really lovely acidity in this wine. Thank you. So as rich and full as it feels from the Semillon, that Sauvignon Blanc is coming through with that great bracing acidity. Yes, thank you. So we call it Bright Start, Big Finish. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You know what else I like? It would be a plate of oysters with this. Yes, that would be delicious. We also eat um, artichokes. Um, asparagus. Wait, you can't pair wine with artichokes and I, asparagus. I know. Tell, I'm telling you, this will cut right through it, and it's so delicious. <laughs> so the, uh, just a little bit about the Semillon. Um, not a lot of Semillon grown in Napa, as you know. Right. Um, so, again, we're fortunate to have these old vines from Hyde, which are in Carneros, right next to the Hudson Vineyard. These things are 42 years old. So they're literally more like trees than vines. And they don't produce a lot, but what they do produce, I, um, we haven't harvested yet. It's actually usually one of the last grapes that we harvest. But when it's pressed, it, it's like lemon honey syrup. Oh. And it's golden. And then you mix it with that high-altitude Sauvignon Blanc, and this is what you get. It's magic. I mean, we're so lucky. The hides are kind of nursing these vines, you know, along because they're ancient. <laughs> Karen, remind me, what, what's the vintage on this one? This is the 2020, I believe. And this is on the key, on the white keys. On the white keys. 2019, is, I'm sorry. 2019, yes. on the white keys. 
Is it here? Please tell me it's here. Is it, it is actually. It is in Park City. Oh, you thank can, goodness. yeah, you can find it at the um, the wine store right here in Park City. I think I'm making a stop on the way out. <laughs> well, that was Maggie's doing. She's doing an excellent job. So let me tell you a little bit about the name. Yes. So we get back to our, the Arietta. The aria, the melody of the Arietta, the Beethoven one, Opus One Eleven, is all played on the white keys of the piano. So that's why it's called Arietta on the White Keys. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm going to chalk that up to you, I bet. Well, um, actually, I think Fritz was playing the music in his head um, during the night one night, and he realized that it was all played on the White Keys, and we both agreed that it was a perfect name. It's a perfect name for a, a perfect white wine. Oh, thank you. Really, just, I'm glad just you're delicious. Doing. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Absolutely. You know... Um, Normally, when we do these podcasts, I'm very careful that I either sip and spit, um, <laughs> and I think you can tell from what's left in my glass that that probably hasn't been the case with <laughs> this wine. Not been the case with this one. Yeah, that is just, uh, boy, that is lovely. <laughs> Thank just you. Lovely. Thank you. All right, so the next one, the next wine in our glass is not white. No, it's definitely not white. Definitely not white. Wow, it has some. Oh, oh, it, it's it's a dark, <laughs> very dark. <laughs> very very. Yeah. Dark. And uh, what is uh, what's this one? So this is Arietta Quartet. Um, this is also in Utah stores, and um, this is our Bordeaux blend oh. of four grapes, hence Quartet four yeah. grapes. Yeah. So it's Cabernet dominant, 55%, and then blended with 36% Merlot, Cab Franc, and Petit Bordeaux. Oh. Um, so this wine is our most distributed wine. So it's actually about one third of our production. So this is another Bordeaux-inspired wine. Yes, it's a Bordeaux blend of four grapes. It's Cabernet dominant, so 55% Cabernet. 36% Merlot with 6% Cab Franc and 1% um, Petit Verdot for color. Oh, yeah, that color is beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah, it's it's very intense. And um, one thing that we do with this wine is uh, we only put 40% new oak on the wine. Wow. It's between 35 and 45%. Thank you. Well, and, you know, the reason why we do that is because we know that people are going to buy this wine and they're going to drink it. So why overpower it with oak? You know, the grapes can probably take the, the, the oak, but um, we like a, a well-balanced wine where the oak isn't sticking out. Um, we make wines that go well with food. So, the, so I, I hope you think that we've achieved that with, with this wine. <laughs> yeah, really, I've got to tell you the very first thing, uh, the very first thing, after uh, trying this wine is the balance. Mm. The balance is so pretty, and I just feel like the acidity and the fruit uh, and the tannins are in just perfect, no pun intended, harmony. <laughs> perfect. Uh, with, the, with this wine, man. You know, great. And um, so just kind of a little inside uh, baseball between us, where do these uh, grapes come from, Karen? <laughs> well, these grapes happen to come from a vineyard in Coombsville, which... As we talked about earlier, very few people know where Coombsville is. Exactly. It's on the east side of Napa. So if you're in the town of Napa, it's on the east side. And it is literally 
no pun intended again, the coolest part of Napa <laughs> because it's not only cool in temperature, but it's like going back in time. Right. Nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about Until it. Until this podcast, then people will be flocking there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a little article written. Um, I just bought a property there, actually. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but um, it's just you feel like you're going back in time. There's still horses and estates and old old homes that have been owned by families for years and years. Um, but there's, there's two vineyards that we use in Coombsville for our Cabernet wines. Um, one is Two Bells, which is where the grapes for this wine come yeah, from. And really? I think that Two you, Bells, huh? Yes, and I think you know the owner. <laughs> yes, let's just say it's on a nice bench. <laughs> yes, it's a, on a beautiful bench in Coombsville. <laughs> and uh, then the other one is the Meteor Vineyard, which is where we, wow, make, okay. where we make our 100% Cabernet. Okay, very cool. Yeah. This is, and it's a delicious wine. I mean, you're right. It's very drinkable. Thank very you. Very drinkable. I, I don't even think this wine's been open an hour. Uh, and already you kind of get the sense that this is just kind of very well integrated. I would probably love to have this with a steak or even a burger. I mean, this, this can play across the board. This is a beautiful wine. Thank you. How much of this are you making? We make about a thousand cases. Um, it goes up and down obviously every year, but, um, so again, it's about a third of our, our production. Um, if you're going to go to a restaurant, this is probably what you would find on the list. Some of our higher end wines, um, are more specialty wines. They have it on the list here at Lodge at Blue Sky, it's the higher end wines, the H block, the Cabernet and, uh, the Merlot. But this one is certainly every bit is good and i would even go as far to say as you know you could have this with lamb or pork chops you could, absolutely it's really versatile it really is because of the blend and the way it's made yeah and you know and the label is just you know stunning <laughs> thank you i'll it. let libby know <laughs> yeah. and i'm looking at it right now and i can tell you that it does stand out on a table <laughs> so if you're walking by you would probably you know, in a restaurant, you would say, oh my gosh, what is that wine? Right. Well, it's funny. When I walk into a restaurant, I can always tell who's drinking it because <laughs> I can see it. Excellent. Excellent. So then it's nice to be able to go over and talk to the people and just say, hi, I'm the proprietor and how are you liking oh, it? And cool. Yeah, I love that. I would love if something happened to me like that. <laughs> that would be really... So, see, Fritz, the new label did pay off. <laughs> exactly. He knows... He knows. He knows. Well, Karen, it has been such a pleasure having you on the podcast today. I cannot tell you how great it is to meet the woman behind some of the wines I love. Oh, thank you so much. Cheers. This has been a lot of fun. That'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. Until the next time, remember, do good, drink well. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. 
Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.